Well, uh, it's good to be back this morning, and um, say it was a good, it was a good, it was a good four months, and God did some really great things in my life, and uh, I'll try not to say all of them this morning, um, lest you not be able to eat lunch or dinner. Um, so, uh, but you know, we were joking, Rick and I were joking earlier this week. He's like, "So it's your first time back up at bat for like four months." I'm like, "Yeah, I think the problem is not." Like, do I have enough to say, but will I say too much? You know, the preacher's dilemma always. So I'm really glad to be back here with you. And I just want to thank you for all the grace and kind words and just encouragement you guys have offered me along the way. And uh, I look forward to uh, letting God's spirit flow through me to you. Um, So this morning, we're talking about the least of these. And last week, we talked about having a broken heart. You know, let our heart be broken the way God's is broken for those who have been marginalized and under-resourced, for those who are farthest from us and most distant. And um, this week, we, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to put that into action, not just have our hearts be broken, but put our hands to good use. What does that look like? What does it feel like? How do we do it? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Good Samaritan parable this week, and it's, it's going to be a good time. Um, let me start by just telling you this story. Um, so it really affected me. A couple years ago, I read this. It was in a book called The Tipping Point. Um, and uh, it's all about like, how things happen unexpectedly and what happens with them in society. And one of the particular case studies that was in there was, uh, was about this seminarians. So they took the seminarians, and uh, they decided to do this little experiment on them. And uh, they were all in preaching class. And they interviewed them, you know, and some said, oh, I'm in, I'm in seminary because I, I love God. I want other people to be able to know God. And some of them said, oh, I just I want to help the poor and the people who need the most help from God. And some of them, you know, want to make a difference. And they gave them different sermons to preach. Some of them, Good Samaritan story is what they preached on. Some of them had other messages, uh, you know, scriptures to preach on. And they gathered them all in a room. And uh, they... They said, okay, from here, you're going to go over to the building a few minutes away, and you're going to go in there to the classroom. You're going to preach to your peers and be evaluated, all that kind of stuff. On the way into that building, and the only entrance in was a man, and clearly in need of help, clearly sick and just in need of help. Almost the point you had to step over him to get into the building. Now, you might think when they sent them over that, you know, the guys who were preaching on the Good Samaritan story, you know, the story of who is my neighbor, love your neighbor, they would have stopped. You might think that, you know, the people, the guys who really love the poor and the marginalized, that's why they're in seminary, they would have stopped. You might think, well, maybe it was, you know, just, you know, people maybe who came from that background, maybe they, they stopped. But do you know who they found stopped? And this was almost unconditionally. Before each of those guys left the place where they were going to, to go. They just looked at their watch and they said, oh, hey, look, time's getting kind of late. You don't have much time. You better, you better get it over there really fast. You better hurry up and get over there. You're going to be late. And then the other guys, they said, hey, looks like it's getting to be time. You have plenty of time, but why don't you head over? Do you know who stopped? Almost without exception, the guys who thought they had time. The guys who took a posture of, hey, I got some time, I can be attentive to what's going on around me. And the guys who put up a wall, their posture was like, you know, a guy shopping for clothes, right? Like, I know what I want in here, I'm going to get it and get out. Those guys didn't notice anything. They stepped right over the guy and went in. 
And when I read that story, it really affected me. I thought, really? You know, our, our convictions, all the convictions and beliefs that we have, and they just walked right past. These are seminarians. These are not just ordinary people. These are guys who were young, you know, in that season of life because before they get all spoiled, like us 40-year-olds, who, you know, we, we just get a little, little more set, satirical about life, a little less idealistic once you have kids and you see how much sin's in the world. I mean, <laughs> in you. These guys, these guys had a picture of what the world needed to look like. And if anybody could act on it, it would be them. If anybody would, you know, have the character and they're being invested into, they're in the midst of that. And they couldn't do it. I thought, what chance do I have? All of my busyness and everything that's going on in my life. God, what shot do I really have at this apart from you? And so I think God invites us to have this attitude that he talks about in Hebrews that we are to be hospitable to strangers to us because often those strangers might be angels in disguise, might be God's way of testing us, helping us line up what we say we believe, what we might even feel with what's in our hands and allowing us to confront the things that don't sync up so that it becomes part of us and part of our soul. And I believe that's what God invites us to today. So I want to read this parable, this Good Samaritan story to you out of Luke 10. And I want you to be able to take it in. And we've even got like a picture on the screen. So when I get to the story part, you can kind of focus in on that and look in on that and do a little what's called visio divina, the divine, like taking in with your, your, your ears and your eyes what God had to say, placing yourself in the story. Let me tell you a few things before we get into the story, okay? Set up the context of the story. So Jesus is traveling. And uh, he was actually just in Samaria, um, a place in the Middle East region where he's living. And um, the Samarians and the Jews didn't get along real well. Okay? In fact, they were very prejudiced against each other. Um, think, think 1940s, 1950s, 1960s racial conflict in the United States. You know what I'm saying? Um, some stuff that we still deal with today, but it was, it was that kind of tension with them all the time. And uh, so he even reached out to the Samaritans and was rejected because they just presumed he was a Jew and we don't get along. So this is this, this kind of scenario. So now, he comes across this Jewish scholar, somebody who knows the law in and out. And this guy is asking him some questions because he wants to know and because he wants to test Jesus. And so they begin this interaction. And it says in Luke 10, Verse 29, starting in verse 25, actually. I'm going to read from the message version. Just then, a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And so Jesus answered, well, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? And, Jesus, and the, the guy said, well, that you love the Lord your God with all of your passion and prayer, with all of your muscle, with all of your intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Oh, don't you hate when that happens? 
Like, you know, you ask the question, you're trying to get the right answer. And I think, you know, there's, there's probably multiple motives for this guy. Like, he really does want to test Jesus. He wants to kind of look good and a good, you know, you, if you ever ask a question in class, you're like, I hope this is a good question. Like, one that makes me kind of look good. Like, wow, that was really deep. You're such a smart, deep thinker. Thank you for asking that. And instead, Jesus says, well, what do you know about it? And the guy answers, he said, that was really good. That's exactly what you should do. Now go do it. The guy's like, go do it. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I wasn't asking about doing it. I was just asking about what it says. Like, how do I get there? And so the guy wants to justify himself a little bit. You know, look for the loophole because he kind of gets the I love God thing. But this whole love your neighbor thing, as well as you do yourself, he wasn't really getting that. Didn't like Jesus' answer. So he tests him. And he says, well, Jesus, how would you actually define the word neighbor. Let's define that word for a second. How far do you really want to take this? So Jesus begins to tell him the story. Okay, so we start the Good Samaritan story. Now there's four characters in the story. One is the victim. Now anytime you hear a story with a victim in it, which part do you play? (laughs) Right? I'm the victim. Like you see the victim through your eyes. Like, oh, what would it feel like to be that victim, to be that person? So the Jewish scholar automatically played that part. But then Jesus puts two more characters in that he would relate to. One was a priest and one was a Levite, a religious man, both in his posse, right? These are guys that are close to him. Oh, yeah, I know what that guy would felt like. Yeah, that guy would have probably helped. And then he puts another guy in the story, Samaritan. Now, in this day, when this story was first told, I guarantee this was not called the good Samaritan story. It might have been called the stinking Samaritan story, the Jesus was killing me here, Samaritan story, but it was not the good Samaritan story because no one thought in the Jewish scholar realm that Samaritans were good or even had any possibility of being good, okay? This is the kind of prejudice and relationship that they had. Now, with that in mind, let's read the story. Kind of take it in with the picture in front of you. There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he was attacked by robbers, and they took his clothes. They beat him up. They went off, leaving him half dead. Now, luckily, there was a priest on his way down on the same road. And so when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. But then there was a Levite, a religious man, and he showed up. But he also avoided the injured man. And then a Samaritan was coming down the road. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. And he gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. He lifted him on his own donkey. He led him to an inn, and he made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. And if it costs any more, put it on my bill. I will pay you on the way back. And then Jesus looks at the religious scholar and he says, now, who became a good neighbor? And this guy is so ticked off and so mad, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Instead, he says, well, the man who who helped him. And Jesus says, correct. And you know what he does? Now go and do the same. Go and do the same. He never lets this guy off the hook. 
And the Samaritan in the story makes this difference because he takes a different posture, right? The, the Levite comes upon him. And what is the Levite's posture? This road is dangerous. This whole situation could go bad. I'm kind of busy. I've got things to do. So he just goes on his way. The Levite comes, takes the same posture, like, boy, this is a bad section of town. I don't want to get robbed myself. That guy's already half dead. He's already halfway there. What am I going to do for him, right? I'm not a doctor. Goes on his way. And it's only the Samaritan who takes this posture of openness, this posture of, wow, if that was me, I would need help. I would want help. For him, maybe God's spirit moved within him and said, this is your moment. And he faced the danger. He faced his biases because, you know, in this story, the victim is probably Jewish. This is a Jewish scholar recognizes like this Samaritan helped a Jew. He crossed the lines of race and boundary, social and economic status. And he said, I'll be there. I'll help you. You know, too often I think we, we try to line up all of our beliefs before we take action. And I think one of the things that Jesus is trying to invite us to in this story is if you really want to live out the gospel, if you want to be the gospel, then you change your posture as you change your beliefs. Because your, your posture, your willingness to take action, will line them up. They'll test for you what you really believe. Because often our posture says more about what we really believe than our mouth. So let's talk a little bit. How do we change our posture? What will that require of us? First, changing my posture will cause me to redefine my neighbor. It's the essence of the question of this parable. One question this parable answers. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Jewish experts looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way out. He's, he's hoping that it looks the way he wants it to look, the way that's comfortable. Maybe something a little bit like this. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Some of you just experienced the most bizarre thing in the world because you have no idea who that guy is. You're like, what in the world is that? That was Mr. Rogers, and um, for those of you who don't know, he was a staple to the lives of many children growing up. Um, most of them are old now. However, I think this Jewish law expert wanted that kind of thing, right? Like, you notice Mr. Rogers in his song says, you know, I've always wanted a neighbor just like you. 
And I think most of us really say in our hearts, I've always wanted a neighbor just like me. Someone who's like me. That's who I want. And if Jesus would put you on the spot this morning and say, who is your neighbor? Go ahead, name it. Who is your neighbor? I bet you'd probably name people in your neighborhood, right? Just like me, like, oh, yeah, that's my neighbor. I like that guy. He's awesome. You'd probably name uh, some people that you work with, people that you have that common task involved with. You would probably name some people maybe like parents of sports teams that your kids play on or people that you do things with. Those are your neighbors. Those are the people that, oh, yeah, I can love them. And when loving your neighbor is contained to that nice, clean, safe box, it's a command we embrace. Well, thanks, Jesus. Yeah, I love to love God. I love to love my neighbor. They're so cool. I love to be hanging around with them. And we are all deeply in our hearts attracted to people like us. We have affinity for it. If you don't believe it, go to almost any church in America and look around. What's the first thing people do when they assess, when they visit a church, or they choose a small group? Who's like me? Who could I get along with? We don't naturally, in our affinity, go, oh, let me choose the group that's most different from me, right? That's a decision that you make. And for some of you, maybe you grew up in places that challenge that. Maybe God has given you that gift. But for many of us, we need that challenge. We need to make those decisions. We need to be really challenged by what this parable truly teaches. In Luke 10, the challenge that Jesus offers, the reason he picks the Samaritan and the Jew is to illustrate not your neighbor is someone like you, but your neighbor is someone least like you. Who is your neighbor? Maybe even someone that you like least. Jesus is stepping it up. And that's the very reason that this guy is like totally thrown off by it. He's like, how far do you really want to take this thing, Jesus? This is a little, little crazy. Sometimes it's easy to go, well, Jesus could do that because he's God. You know, he kind of gets this whole holy, perfect thing. He had that going for him. But I want to challenge you this morning to remember that the God of the universe left perfection and holiness and entered into sin and disgust to him. He became the least of these so that he could be a neighbor to the least of these. And the least of these is you and I. God invites us into that kind of relationship, and he modeled it. And he said, love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Now get this. I mean, this is, Jesus is just spiraling this thing out of control, okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know how to love yourself, really? Like, you know how to get it. Like, you know how, everybody have a gift lift? You know what I mean? Like, I put it on my iPhone. Like, when I think of something really good, I'm like, ooh, next time someone asks me, like, hey, can I get you a present? I got it right here. Hold on a second. I got a whole list. What, what's, what's your expense? Like, how much you want to spend? Right? So we, most of us know how to do that. Most of us know how to further our education, right? We know how to make the connections and say, well, I'm going to love myself by furthering myself. I'm going to love myself by getting a good job, by networking with the right people. Most of us know how to love ourselves by, you know, investing into our marriages, our families, because we want that to work well. And so God asks you this question. When was the last time you loved someone least like you the way you love yourself? Ouch. Right? Now we're really on 
we're really engaged with the kind of distance that God is talking about here, what God is really engaging us with. So who is my neighbor? Anyone that you meet, that you can fill their need. No matter if they make you uncomfortable, no matter if they seem dangerous, no matter if you feel like, I don't even know how to relate to that person, if you meet them, if God puts them in your sphere, and for some of us it might mean moving out of that zone, that's our neighbor. Jesus says, that's your neighbor. And love them as yourself. Don't just give them your money. Sometimes, right? Sometimes it's not bad to give money away, but isn't that just our way of getting out of the real investment, our skills, our person? Isn't that what the person really needs, that kind of dignity? Money doesn't give someone dignity. It just gives them food. Your person, your skills, your investment into them, that gives them dignity. Loving is a choice. And, um, you know, I've been reading from the Desert Fathers a lot, um, something that God's just stirring up in me, and I've really enjoyed it. And I remember reading um, a quote by St. Anthony, and he was, he was asked by some of his followers, like, how do you know when you've got perfect love, perfect charity? And his response was, when, when I can come to the leper and with gladness exchange my life for his, that would be perfect charity. How will you know perfect love? When you can come to that person and say, I'd be willing to exchange. I'm willing to do an exchange here and give you the gifts that God's given me so that you can enjoy the kind of life that God's given you. Or at least enjoy the kind of life that God wants for you, his true desire. Change my posture. It's a challenge. It is a huge challenge. And when you do it, if you actually get out there, it's going to cause you to do something else. It's going to force you to confront your biases. Well, let's talk a little bit about confronting your biases because this is huge. This is a huge thing that we don't always know that's underneath us. Confronting our biases. The point of the Good Samaritan story is open up your posture, right? It's go out there and get your posture open. Be willing to have do something with this. Don't just say you believe it. Don't just engage with your heart about it. Don't just know it's the right thing. In fact, knowing the right thing doesn't matter one iota if you don't do the right thing. And so God confronts and says, okay, you're going to have to confront your biases. Now, we all have biases, and truth is that we all have them built in kind of below the surface. Remember I talked about like when, when you go to a church, right? When you walk into this auditorium, something happens. As soon as you walk in and you look for a seat, Below the surface, you are assessing a thousand questions at nanoseconds. What's a good seat? Where do I want to sit? Who's sitting around me? Is there space? Do I feel comfortable there? All of those questions go through your head. Immediately, you make a decision about it, and you grab a seat. And some of those things are biases, just the way you grew up. If you don't believe you have biases, then you know, you, all you got to do is confront yourself with some things about what God's word says and what we do. Like, you know, I, I always laugh at, like, Fox News, the un, the, what, what do they call it? The fair and balanced, right? Okay, I, I'm not saying that I don't, you know, I don't watch Fox News. I'm saying stop acting like you don't have opinions, <laughs> right? Clearly have opinions. Clearly have a bias. Fox News comes with a bias. So does CNN. So does NBC. And because they come out of people's mouths, and as soon as you open your mouth, your bias begins to come through. Now, if you want to confront your bias, then you've got to put yourself in situations that make you feel it. 
that make you realize kind of things, situations that will make everything around you shout out like, oh my, this is going down differently than I thought. That person is different than I thought. You probably have all, maybe you've experienced like someone is approaching, I was down at a conference in Philly and, you know, we're downtown in the city, we're walking through and there's people there and I got to decide sometimes, am I going to meet their eyes? Guys that are homeless coming up to me and I got to decide, am I going to meet their eyes? Because the second I meet their eyes, I'm going to engage them in some kind of conversation and I might get conned. You ever been conned? You know, you gave them money, but then you find out later, oh yeah, that's kind of a popular way to get your money. And you feel a little bit like, oh. But see, if you don't have an open posture and you don't engage with them, that person at all, you say, yo, despite what God says about you being a person, despite what you have wrong in your life, I'm going to go ahead and judge your motives before I even meet you. You begin to even wonder things, right? I bet, I bet you have wondered things when you've met people that are least like you, that are farthest away, like, I wonder how that person got there. Maybe they're an alcoholic. I wonder if they don't have any family. Why don't they just call their family? We begin to make judgments on others instead of realizing in ourselves, I don't want to stand before God in that judgment. I, I don't want to just put that on them. God says, open your posture, and instead of just living by your bias, live by my bias, and that's to love. Jesus came, died on a cross, wrecked his whole life for you while we were yet sinners, while we were bankrupt spiritually. God did all of that for you. Shouldn't we do that for others? You know the best solution to confronting your biases are? Open your posture, get in the situation, and then repent. I guarantee you if you get in the right situation, you'll be repenting. You'll be saying, God, I'm sorry. That that thought, that decision, that way that I looked at other people is not how you see them. Line up my heart with yours again. And you might have to do this over and over, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, line it up again, line it up again. God wants to do that in your life. You know, when we are attracted to those who are most like us, it can be a real gift. But it can also be a curse. So much as it keeps us from really enjoying others. So much as it keeps us from loving the least of these or being in proximity to them, exposing ourselves to situations where we're not comfortable with, places and neighborhoods where we don't live and belong, so much as it keeps us from that in our busy lives, it becomes sin instead of a gift. And God wants you to have that gift. Now, I have to tell you that um, in my desire to help us all learn this lesson, I have been deceitful with you this morning. I have planted someone in your midst to make you uncomfortable. And uh, I think we all need to say thank you to him this morning. Hunter, will you stand up? And Hunter's one of the students in our, in our Daybreak student ministry. He did a great job making you uncomfortable this morning, right? He did good, right? Like, how many felt a little uncomfortable around Hunter? They smell a little bit? He, they made actually special stuff yesterday. Bob Fell, his dad, actually went, called me on the phone. He's like, I got the stuff, and it stinks. Like, he's not going to smell good at all. Hunter, how did, how did we do this morning? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes people greeted you. Sometimes you could tell they're a little awkward. Yeah. You didn't, your row wasn't real popular. 
I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. Well, you had all the sweat and stench, too, from last service. So, yeah. So, listen, I, I'll go to any length to help us all engage with this lesson. I'm a harbinger of spiritual formation, right? Like, I'm bring pain so that we can all learn. Um, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. Henry Nouwen points out this whole thing, this struggle that we go through. And if you haven't figured it out, I like Henry Nouwen. So um, I want to just read you this quote, because this is a really good way of helping yourself understand like the tension that you're going to feel when you confront your biases. In our world, the assumption is that strangers are a potential danger, and that it is up to them to disprove it. When we travel, we keep a eye, careful eye on our luggage. And when we walk the streets, we are aware of where we keep our money. And when we walk at night in the dark park, our whole body is tense with a fear of attack. Our heart might desire to help others, to feed the hungry, to visit the prisoners, to offer shelter to travelers. But meanwhile, we have surrounded ourselves with a wall of fear and hostile feelings, instinctively avoiding people and places where we might be reminded of our good intentions. Our culture, everything in us has taught us not to have a posture of openness, but to have a posture like this, guarded keeping ourselves safe, keeping our families safe. And in order for us to confront our biases, you're going to have to get outside that a little bit. You're going to have to do some things that don't feel real comfortable. Some of that is just getting in proximity to it. And some of you might be sitting in your seat this morning and you feel that urge of the Spirit like, you know, I have not put myself in that situation for a long time or maybe ever or maybe not enough. And I feel like God's asked me to do something a little less comfortable. And so I want to encourage you... Um, to do something this summer. Pastor Paul and Marisa are church planners in the heart of Harrisburg, in downtown Harrisburg, and uh, they're doing an amazing work with people. Um, Pastor Paul is actually from uh, Ecuador, and uh, his daughter is actually George and Libby Evert, who come to GHRs. His wife, sorry. Yeah, let me get that right, right? George and Libby's daughter, is, he's not married to his daughter. That would be really weird, and she's really old for that. His, his wife is their daughter. And um, so, we're, you know, we're, we're really connected with them. But he said he would be glad to offer anyone at Daybreak an opportunity to rub shoulders, just to support the work that they're doing, to get yourself in some proximity to a different situation, to people who are least like you. And if you're interested in that, if you feel like this morning, like God is asking you to do some of those things, I want to encourage you. His contact information is on the screen, and you can just write that down and just email him or go out to his Facebook page, and he'd be glad to just invite you over. Just try it once this summer. Do something that gets you outside your comfort zone. Allow God to test you and confront your biases and see if that doesn't begin to line up what the gospel really is. Because as John Perkins says, the gospel is about reconciliation. Our reconciliation to God, right? This is the first commandment, greatest commandments. Our reconciliation to God, love God with all your heart, and our reconciliation to others, love your neighbor as yourself. And a gospel that does not include that reconciliation is no gospel at all. It's not the gospel. That's not what you're living out if you're not living out that gospel that includes that kind of reconciliation, these questions that are hard that Jesus is asking. So we've got to confront our biases. We've got to extend this definition of our neighbor and when we do that, you're going to have to trust God because guess what? You're going to get real uncomfortable. 
If you do this right, it is going to make you uncomfortable. And so let's talk about the third point, and that's changing my posture is going to make challenge me to surrender my comfort, to surrender the things that make me feel safe and secure, and everything in you that says build your life this way is something that you might have to give up. This guy in the story, the religious scholar, who's asking Jesus all these questions and trying to box everything in and make it safe and make it nice and make it feel good, I think he believed this statement down in his heart. It never pays to go out of your way and help somebody. Never pays to go out of your way and help somebody. Just going to get conned, going to get taken advantage of. It never pays. And do you know what? He's right. Doesn't going out of your way to help someone always cost you something? But we have, see, we've grown up and been discipled by consumerism. Walmart, Target, name any store, right? What do you do when you're looking for a deal? Does the cost outweigh the benefit? You know, am I going to buy that thing well? Is it going to benefit me well? I'm going to have to pay this much money. And we begin to measure people that way too. We measure ourselves that way sometimes. Do I have all the right stuff together? Because that's my value. And when we enter life, if we want to really reconcile Live out the gospel. You will have to give up that consumerism. You will have to do battle with being a consumer in your mind because it will always cost you something. Always. Will it do amazing work in your heart? Yes, that's what the gospel does. It sets you free. Sometimes it sets you free from biases. Sometimes it sets you free from comfort and security so that you can be truly free to live in God, to enjoy him, and to be part of the good work of the gospel. But to be set free, we'll have to love others as ourselves. How do you love yourself? You invest into somebody else by redistributing your own education to them, by redistributing your skills, by redistributing your person, and by redistributing some of your money. All of these things are important part of reconciling, of bringing hope to those who don't have hope, of reaching out across to those who are the least of these, those who are least like us, and it will cost us something. Nowhere in the Bible does it say following Jesus will be safe. Did anybody find that statement in the Bible? I don't remember reading that anywhere. Hey, following Jesus will be safe. Come follow me. It's safe and secure. It's not what Jesus challenged us to. It's not the gospel. So this morning, I want to call you out to be something greater, to do something greater. Now, I met this gal in my neighborhood. The other night I was running. My wife was walking. I was running. and um, I actually got the story a little secondhand from my wife. I saw kind of it going down. She was talking to this gal, but I was on my run, so I just kept running. And it's this little dog, like about this big, and he's kind of scattering around when my wife's talking to this gal. And I met up with my wife then and says, hey, what was going on? She says, well, this, this dog, like, no... She didn't know who it belonged to. No one knew who it belonged to. And so it's just kind of running around in this neighborhood, and nobody knew where it belonged. Now, this is my wife. and Like, we had walked a mile. This is like a, about a half mile from our house. So we don't really live there either. We didn't really know who it belonged to. And um, this gal that lives in this neighborhood says, I don't know who this dog belongs to, and I don't know what to do. I sure hope it finds its way home. I won't be able to sleep tonight if it doesn't. And then she goes back in her house. Really? Like, you can't sleep, but you can't pick the dog up, walk around to the other 15 or 20 houses close to you, 
introduce yourself. I bet they'll recognize the dog. <laughs> I bet they're not out there like, nope, don't want that dog. Unless you probably, you know, maybe you meet the husband he doesn't want. It. He's like, no, no, dog. I just, I heard that statement and I'm like, wow, that's ridiculous. And then I realized I do the same thing. I really feel bad for that person who has nothing. But I, I got to get to a meeting. I got to take my kids to school. I got seminary classes to complete. I got to preach on Sunday. No more, no better than her. I'm guilty of the same thing. And I bet we all feel that a little bit together. God invites us to something better, something greater. We all, you ever play this follow the leader game when you're a kid? You know, like, you know, hop on one foot, everybody hops on one foot, follows each other around. You know, some of you maybe played it on video games or something. Um, the, this follow the leader thing, we get it right. We know how to do it. And then we grow up and we become Christians and we think that follow the leader doesn't mean actually doing it. It just means studying it. Oh, that's what Jesus did. That's fascinating. Wow, that guy was awesome. All right, got to get off to work. Got to get busy. We think it's okay just to memorize it. But God invites you to follow Jesus by doing it. This is the very thing Jesus says on the very bookends of this whole parable. Go do it. Stop talking about it. It's the very thing that Jesus did. It says in the scripture in Philippians, it says, have the same attitude of Christ who was obedient even to the cross, even to death, that he would manifest the love of Christ. And so we invite you to the true gospel, which means that we live it out in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are kind of sit in humility watching your life, how you became the least of these so that you could minister to us. I am thankful that you did that. I'm thankful that you restored me into a relationship with you. But Jesus, I have not done it well myself. And for that, I ask that you forgive me, that you forgive us. God, in our very busy lives, will you teach us not to let go of these lessons of the Good Samaritan? Will you teach us how to put down our excuses and lay them at your throne and say, Jesus, no more. Teach me how to do this in the way and the place that you've given me to live. Will you help us to be an open posture? Give us courage to confront our biases. Speak to our minds through scripture and your words so that we recognize when this is something our culture has taught us and when it's something that you don't agree with. And then God help us just to repent and follow you and to enjoy the gospel fully by surrendering our comfort and saying, God, it's not safe, it's not comfortable, but it's better than anything else because you only have the words of life. Help us to follow you, Jesus. Amen.